everyone. Welcome to episode two of my podcast. I'm Scottish ESN teacher and I'm back with some more conversation, tips and strategies to think about when working with some of our more complex learners. Today's topic is home teaching for educators and caregivers and how to cater for pre-verbal learners when setting tasks. If you pop over to my Instagram, Scottish ASN teacher, you'll see a short content series I created there on the same topic. This podcast will go through those points, delve a little deeper, and hopefully answer any questions or comments I've had since releasing them. The first thing you'll notice is that I'm referring to this whole concept as home teaching and not home learning, which is a more commonly used phrase. This is a purposeful change. I made a conscious effort to use the active phrase teaching instead of the more passive phrase learning. For me, it shifts the focus and means I'm more focused on producing good content for my lessons rather than lots of things a child or family can take on and learn by themselves. Teaching is what the teacher does and learning is what the pupil does. So this shift in terminology has helped me redefine my role and really work on getting my engagement with my learners up. Another thing you might notice is that I'm changing my language when discussing non-verbal learners. It's important to point out that at no point has non-verbal meant non-communicative and a child's verbal status has no impact on their cognitive ability academic ability or understanding. But I did feel that non-verbal sounds a little harsh and it feels like something is lacking, which is not the case at all. Recently, I became aware of some online colleagues using the phrase pre-verbal instead, and I really, really like this. It's less judgmental sounding and leaves room for verbal skills to develop. Not that this is necessary or expected, but I feel like overall pre-verbal is a more understanding and inclusive phrase. So home teaching, What a whirlwind. This past year has been such a learning curve. I bet none of us thought our CPD list this year would contain this amount of ICT skills. I've developed skills I never thought I would need or use, and I'm truly grateful for all of them during this lockdown 3.0. So the first thing we need to talk about is boundaries. As a teacher, you need to set them and you need to stick to them. Plan how your week's going to look, assign breaks, and then actually take them. Yes, we need to be flexible, but it's so, so important to have a happy and healthy teacher. You're doing yourself no favours by burning the candle at both ends. And I say this in my capacity as teaching staff and as management. I would much rather have a member of staff with clear boundaries and expectations than someone who works every hour of the day, is stressed, upset, and whom I'm worrying about constantly. Setting boundaries could also look like taking work emails off your phone. I did this recently and wow, it's liberating. Having that control over when to access work can be really freeing. How about assigning a room in your house for schoolwork and not letting it spill out and take over the whole place? And I know that's much easier said than done when laminating. We know our families may be finding things tough at home and it's really hard not to dwell on those thoughts. But the best way you can support your children and families is to be there and present for them during the school day and coming back fresh and ready the next day. Burnout is a real issue. We're relearning our whole job And that's really tough. This leads nicely on to my next tip. Reduce, reuse, recycle. You see all those wonderful resources gracing your social media? Use them. Don't spend time reinventing the wheel. Yes, it would be good if this amazing resource came with a different font or with a different symbol. But is that actually going to be a meaningful change for your learner? If it is, by all means adapt. But if not, just use it. Once you're in a good routine of home teaching, that's when to get all fancy with your lessons. But right now it's time to support each other and use what's available. 
Be sure to give credit where applicable and a wee message of thanks would be super appreciated by your colleagues, whether real life, social media or a teacher's resource website. My next tip, as I've already discussed briefly, is rephrase. I spoke before about changing the lingo from home learning to home teaching. As I said, this has really helped me think about how to engage my students more effectively, get them actively involved in their learning and focus on success criteria. Don't get me wrong, lots of my teaching is based around repetition of themes and contexts, as is required for my pupils. But reframing how I express that has given me drive and focus. Be sure to celebrate your success. We do it all the time with our pupils, but have you ever stopped to really celebrate your own success? It's so easy to finish an activity or lesson prep and immediately move on to the next item on that never-ending to-do list. But stop! Give yourself a pat on the back. Tell someone you're proud of what you've achieved and allow yourself that moment of self-praise and positivity. Don't be afraid to share this with your students either. Telling them you're proud of some work you did models the emotion and shows excitement about the activity you've planned for them. Use it as an incidental teaching moment and show a symbol or sign for proud so your students can express themselves similarly in the future. The next one's a big one, communication. So communication with your colleagues, communication with your families and communication with yourself. Let me explain. So firstly, colleagues, share resources, share victories and share those embarrassing moments that come with online teaching. With your families, ask what's working or not working. There's no point in creating all singing, all dancing lessons if a pupil is not engaging. Ask them how to engage their child, what would work for them as a family. And if something isn't working, don't take it personally. Chances are it's a cracking lesson and the refusal isn't anything to do with the content. If a family responds well to fun life skills, that's what we provide. If they want to be left alone, then respect that too. I would say here that we are legally obliged to continue to provide education services, so do keep uploading class items, but the family then has the choice not to log on, which is fine. Remember that communication with families works both ways too. If a family requests a bespoke strategy that will take time to create, tell them this. Manage their expectations and be clear and realistic. Yes, we'll provide an individualised support programme, but not by staying up past midnight. Lastly, communicate with yourself. A mental check-in can be really good practice to get in touch with how you're feeling. Take time for self-care, your hobbies, your pets. Remember that you are important and your mental health really matters. If anyone ever needs anyone to talk to, I'm always here. Get in touch via Instagram or my email. Now for some actual content to send home. I'm trying to give a wide variety here, so some things will be appropriate for your particular group and some won't. I hope there'll be something for everyone and I can spark ideas that you can personalise for your own gang. My main criteria for these activities is to cater for children who do not engage well with written materials, live teaching and require extra communication, sensory and behavioural support. So the first thing I would recommend is visuals. Get a timetable on the go for every child. This is a really unusual time, so an autistic child may need that visual backup that a timetable can give. Use symbols, photos, words, numbers, whatever suits that child. Structure this into a whole day, half day or a now and next. The use of visuals to structure the day can give a sense of calm predictability. If it's something the child uses in school, then what better way to, than to indicate school at home? The day feels much more manageable for caregivers when broken down into chunks and the child can see exactly what's happening and when. 
Remember to integrate some choosing time and try and structure the day in a similar way to school if possible. For example, if you would normally do circle, relax and work trays in the morning, the child could follow a similar routine at home. Another way to use visuals is in the form of a social story. These could talk about staying at home, homeschool or cover any anxieties a child has about COVID. It might be nice to film yourself reading the social story too, so the child sees a united front between teacher and caregiver. Remember not to fill the day with jobs that would be too high pressure for the caregiver. Remind them that screen time is okay. Give strategies like using timers or guided access for devices to help with transitions. If you haven't used guided access on iPads before, it is a total game changer. Essentially, it lets you limit apps opened and puts a timer on usage. Once the timer is up, the iPad goes blank and you can't unlock it again without a code. Children are much more likely to transition and be calm when the device is stopped rather than an adult removing it. Guided access removes that middleman, there's much less conflict and it creates a really strong finished signal. Encourage your families to get outside as much as they can. We know that Scotland in particular likes to showcase all four seasons in one day. So use this as a learning opportunity. For example, look out the window and chat about appropriate clothing for going out. What should we wear? What should we take? When they leave, can they show their child how to lock the door behind them? Making the most of these little teaching moments can make a walk purposeful and help with the transition process. Families may need prompts and advice for this, so why not create an activity based on summer and winter clothes? As an extension, suggest the conversation I mentioned before. When they're actually out, suggest they label things like trees or cars, count them, talk about their colour. Take this chance to think about how you could support the family with road safety. Could a social story or a small safety topic help the family feel more comfortable getting out and about? Communication and literacy is a big area that we can work on at home. How about introducing a word of the week? You could teach the sign, the symbol, using it in context. For writing, you could go all the way from mark making to using it in a written sentence or including it in some colourful semantics. When choosing a word, think about what would be useful for our children. Yes, knowing the word red is useful, but would being able to use the word more be more useful in their lives? If you look for functional core vocabulary, not just labelling items and colours, you could set that child up for more communication opportunities. Words like stop, finished, go, want, look can be difficult to demonstrate at times, but can make a really big difference in a child's expressive language. I read an example recently which talked about a car having a flat tyre. If you phoned the emergency services and said black circle, they would struggle to know what to do but if you said help broken, you'd have much more success getting the help you needed. Think about how you can incorporate these functional, meaningful words into your literacy lessons, including PECs, POD and AAC devices. Demonstrate the words using these aids and really encourage your children to try and use these words too. Next, we're going to talk about life skills. So how many of you have a huge life skills focus in your classroom? I know I do. Sit down and make a list of all the things that would be useful home skills for a child to have. Think of them 10 years from now. What skills do they need to have as independent a life as possible? Things like making the bed, setting the table, making lunch, using the washing machine, sorting laundry, feeding a pet. Pick one to start with, create a social story, add some visuals, perhaps a step-by-step guide. Remember to model the teaching component for parents and caregivers either a written how-to or maybe a video where you speak directly to the adults and talk them through teaching an activity. 
Modeling the skill is so, so important. So if you're comfortable filming yourself completing the task, then add that too. If a child uses AAC, PEX or POD, directly involve their communication device and add in the required vocabulary. Alternatively, instead of focusing on one skill at a time, compile a list of related skills. I recently prepped a few pages of life skills visuals. So one was kitchen-based skills, including cooking and shopping. One was general household cleaning and tidying. One was based around opening and closing things like jars and included fastening buttons, zips and shoes. One was around personal hygiene and the final one was personal information. So knowing and communicating things like name, date of birth, address, school. My plan is to pass these on to families and include a can do, working on it and I don't know option for each skill. Parents can then use this to work out if there are any gaps or skills that their child could be practising and then we can look at creating resources to help with those specific skills. Remember to praise and value the skills a child already has and celebrate when they learn a new one. I use the teach approach a lot in school, especially for structured one-to-one learning. I've found it a really excellent way to meet targets and goals and to focus on those individual skills. This approach can be adapted for home teaching, especially if a child is already used to the setup. And if not, there are still ways in which it could be really useful. So this method of teaching is based on structured visual learning with a goal of independence. We provide the pupil with visual structure, tasks they can show success with, and a clear indication of when they're finished. To structure this for home teaching, I would start with the visuals. Whatever you use should tie in with the child's timetable and have the same indicator of finished, whether that's removing symbols or moving them to the end. For example, if a child is using a now and next timetable with a finished pouch, it would say something like work or work trays. The child would then move to a sequence strip labelled with the same symbol, work or work trays, and also with its own finished pouch. This strip would then contain links to the jobs, which could be numbered or colour-coded. I would recommend keeping the actual work jobs in wallet files to keep everything together. All resources should be in these wallets. Try not to share pencils between jobs, for example, as this means moving between the wallets. The child can follow the sequence strip to match the job, complete the job, and then mark it finished. It's good practice to have a box or a tray labelled finished so the child can pop a finished job in. It's a really visual system with clear boundaries. For the actual jobs, things like matching and sorting, puzzles, identifying, mark making, the possibilities really are endless. And I know what you're thinking. This sounds like a massive job and I do not have time to set that up for eight children. But actually, if you think carefully about the jobs you include, one set of five jobs could last a month. Think about the level of repetition your child needs. Think about tasks that cover core skills and try not to make the jobs too specific. The next strategy we're going to think about is intensive interaction. So the first thing to state here is that intensive interaction should only be undertaken by a trained practitioner. There are a number of courses and resources available online and I'd thoroughly recommend getting yourself on one if you can. There are aspects, however, that we can incorporate into our communication routines. So hopefully, even if you aren't able to undertake official sessions, you can take some of the information and strategies away to use within your day. So intensive interaction is designed to help those at an early level of development, which may include those with autism or other communication or learning disabilities. Think of your pre-early level tactile sensory pupils. The ones that you are totally panicking won't be able to engage with any standard tasks at home. This is for them. 
It works on exploring early interaction skills and practices communication routines. It really is the first step in teaching and exploring communication. The adult works at the child's communication level and engages with them in a way that's both appropriate and understandable. The child leads the interaction and the adult responds. It's social and responsive rather than being directive or target-based. It's play-based, teaches pre-speech fundamentals and promotes positive social communication skills, which can be particularly difficult for a child with autism. They may not see the pleasure or the point in verbal communication, so this gives a positive experience of communication for them to engage with. Intensive interaction focuses on the fundamentals of communication through imitating and responding. So these fundamentals are attention and concentration span, enjoying interaction or being with another person, turn-taking and behavioural exchanges, sharing personal space, using and understanding touch or physical contact, using facial expression, using vocalisation with meaning, understanding and using eye contact, using non-verbal communication and regulating arousal levels. There are a number of techniques used in intensive interaction. I'll give a quick overview of the most common ones to give you an idea of what we can do to increase pre-verbal communication opportunities for our children. So the first one is sharing personal space, so being close to a child in a way that's acceptable and comfortable for them. This can include touch but doesn't have to. The next technique is vocal echoing, so echoing back noises and sounds a child makes, which can turn into a conversation-like exchange. This could also include mirroring things like a breathing pattern, if it's safe to do so. This leads on to behavioural mirroring, the same as before, but imitating posture, movement, alongside physical contact if appropriate. Making or exchanging eye contact or facial expressions goes into closer, more detailed contact. This leads on to a joint activity focus, so doing something together, which can lead on to turn-taking. Giving a social commentary of what a person's doing can also show you're paying attention and understanding that they're motivated to engage. The key concepts to remember, as written on the Intensive Interaction website, which I would thoroughly recommend visiting, are one, ascribing intentionality, so recognising behaviours and noises as intentional communications. Two, not being a target or goal-based scenario. And three, making intensive interaction a rewarding and enjoyable activity. As I said, the Intensive Interaction website has a number of resources, including videos and taster sessions, if this is something you're interested in exploring further. A really great way of giving purposeful play experiences remotely is by engaging sensory play. Families can use anything they have to hand, keep those activities flexible and try not to use any obscure ingredients. I'm particularly thinking of some of the more interesting slime recipes. Something like cornflakes, using your hands and feet to explore the texture, can be a really positive and rewarding experience. Giving keywords for a caregiver to use, for example with Play-Doh, rolling, squashing, pinching. If you can film a video of you practising these skills using your keywords and visuals, this gives another element to the child's learning. There are some excellent social media presences who share regular ideas for sensory play. For example, if you search for tough trays, you're going to come across a whole host of activities. I have some examples on my Instagram page. I try to upload a tough tray Tuesday every week. And I also regularly share links to some other excellent pages I've come across. You can really use anything for your sensory play. Things like bubble wrap, glitter, play-doh, sand, shaving foam. Although not to be confused with shaving gel, which is nowhere near as messy and fun. 
If a family is a bit more enterprising, try dyeing rice or chickpeas. Using sandwich bags for sensory items that may be a little more messy can persuade a worried caregiver or a child who isn't keen on new tactile experiences. Remember to rinse the bags afterwards and reuse them. Books like We're Going on a Bear Hunt can be good as a sensory play stimulus. Pinterest is full of ideas for book-based sensory play. I've had a lot of success using the That's Not My books and creating a box of tactile objects. For example, if something's too fluffy, I'll include a small fluffy item like a soft toy. If something's too rough, I'll put in some sandpaper maybe. Something that a child can pick up, interact with and compare to the texture in the book. It could also be useful to have some visuals for the different texture words that a child could engage with. We can also think of sensory work in terms of sensory integration. So think about your child's sensory profile and needs. If you have access to an occupational therapist, ask them for some tips on how you can incorporate that profile at home. Simple things may include movement breaks, having a routine of, say, five exercises that can be done on a child's timetable regularly. Maybe a bank of visuals showing exercise and movements, and the child could choose five a day for their movement breaks. Again, this is a one-time energy output on your part, creating the visuals and perhaps some videos to demonstrate, and then it can be reused with different combinations. I'm envisaging a sort of choosing board combined with a now and next, which could also have some discrete ordinal number teaching. For example, a box with first, second, third, and then two empty boxes beside each. For the first box, the child would choose a number from a selection of visuals, and for the second box, they would choose an action. So maybe first they've chosen three and star jumps, so they would complete three star jumps. Second, they've chosen four toe taps, so they would tap their toes four times, and so on. Finally, we're going to think about how to structure our day and how we can include the right amount of engagement. I begin with an approximation of your morning routine in school, so for me that's circle. We'd start with songs for days of the week, complete our calendar and think about our feelings. If you create a basic outline that can be reused daily, this really helps reduce your workload and gives that consistency and predictability that our children need. For example, my morning circle only needs a picture of our calendar visuals inserted each day and we're good to go. Next, a relax could be a useful addition, either listening to some relaxing music, a quick yoga session or a hand massage. Then I would jump into my work jobs, things similar to the teach trees that we spoke about above. Think short and successful here. So for example, matching, sorting your numbers, colours, coins. Working towards your lunch break can be a useful opportunity for life skills. So can the child help make lunch and tidy up afterwards? Some choosing or screen time after lunch can be good to help bring the child back into their optimal learning space and give a caregiver a little bit of me time. For the afternoon, how about some outdoor learning? A sensory walk, counting items, natural art. You could have a thematic approach here to your afternoons, where you include a set of themed activities for the week that the family can then choose from. This is where you'd put in your sensory play, PE, art. This would also be a good time to listen to a story. So if you're able to film a story session, include your signs and visuals to make it a real communication opportunity. Do remember to check publisher permissions beforehand. A number of publishers have given blanket permissions for their stories to be read online, but it's always good to double check. I'd really recommend using an activity grid for the afternoons, with the activities presented in different ways. For example, you could have a selection of videos, written explanations, photos of end products, key goals for walks. This gives the family a bit of choice, a bit of variety. For example, 
if you put down a walk for an afternoon, lovely sensory walk, you've filmed it, it's a beautiful, beautiful experience and it's pouring with rain and the child doesn't want to go outside, that's okay. But if you've presented it in an activity grid, the family can pick and choose. Maybe a better day to go for a walk. Maybe today's a better day to stay inside and do some PE together. Give them that choice. Give them that control over their day and it will really pay off. We can also look at showing caregivers any sensory routines we've taught in class. For example, squeezes or hand massages. Does the child respond well to deep pressure? Could they take a heavy backpack out on their walk? Chat to your families about the sensory needs a child is showing at this time and be aware that there could be changes to their usual presentation. A good resource to investigate here is TACPAC. So TACPAC is a sensory massage activity which creates sensory alignment and communication opportunities through music and touch. It creatively uses items from around the house to deliver these experiences and can be a very calming and bonding experience. So to sum up home teaching experiences so far, I'd liken it to the swan metaphor. Graceful and calm on the surface and paddling like mad underneath. Although to be honest, I'm not always that calm on the surface either. Maybe a slightly harassed and dishevelled looking swan would be more accurate. Swans aside, we're all doing the best we can. Teachers have an incredibly hard role. There's such negativity in the press and certain online groups, and this is really tough to overlook. But we need to focus on those positives. Think of all the CPD you've already done this year. Think of all those new ICT skills you have. And think of all those lovely Teams meetings you're going to have with your slippers on under the desk. Take care of yourselves. And as always, get in touch with any questions, comments, or just to chat. My Instagram is scottishasnteacher and my email is scottishasnteacher, all one word, at gmail.com.